Welcome to Cloudlandia. Mr. Jackson. Yes. I have a question for you. Okay. The theme song that plays before um, the podcast starts, we never get to hear, hear her side of the story. <laughs> Maybe that's true. Maybe she's like, she doesn't want, but maybe she wants him to do that. I mean, he says Let she's shy, go. but, uh, you know, uh, and why is he saying all these things? Is there some suspicion that he's running around and, uh, you know? No, I think it's the, it's, I think it's, Dan, it's, it's the nice guy anthem is what it is. He's, She's yeah. not interested in him. And he's saying, but I'm never going to let you go. I'm never going to run around. I'm never yeah. going to desert you. I'm never going to. Why not me? Because she's interested See, this in is the guy the... that she can't have. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because it points out the difference between jealousy and envy. Okay. That's true. That <laughs> he thinks he's got something. Uh, but there's a possibility he could lose it, uh, mm-hmm. and that's jealousy. Envy is where somebody has something, and you want the other person to lose it. You know. Yes. So, yeah. Words are important. They really are. Those are uh, those are, you know, culturally important words that that uh, mm-hmm. Rick Astley is, is you know, he's yeah, poet <clears throat> for uh, a generation. Yeah. You know, I read that, you know, I've told you in the past, I've read this massive uh, book by a German author. Uh, uh, He wrote it in the 1960s and it was called The Envy. And he points out something interesting about envy because envy is a human constant. You know, it's going on all the time. And, um, and but he said, if you look at the psychological research, starting probably in the 1880s, and mm-hmm. you go forward, they list every sort of psychological problem that human beings have. But starting around 1880, envy disappeared as a human problem. He said uh, it was a constant in human literature, um, philosophy. Um, you know, in uh, uh, in uh, drama, you know, in uh, stage plays and everything else. But he says, starting around 1880, it just disappears. And if you bring up envy at a psychological conference, everybody goes mute. Nobody talks about envy. And, and why do you uh, think that is? Well, because they're all envious. Ah, okay. <laughs> I see. That's funny. Actually, the modern world, which is sort of based on the concept of meritocracy, in other words, that, uh, you know, everybody has an opportunity to develop themselves as far far as they want to. I mean, there's a belief in that. I think it's it's more of a belief than it is a reality. But I think that meritocracy, the notion that everybody's equal and that, it's simply a matter of applying yourself that determines your outcome. I I think that uh, some people are up to that game and some people aren't up to that game. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and um, and my feeling is that the people who have been told that they're equal and that their success in life is totally dependent upon their efforts, 
they feel kind of outgunned right from the beginning. They're outcompeted right from the beginning because mm-hmm. they they can tell right who just have greater intelligence, greater creativity, greater skill, greater advantages. And um, it makes them very, very envious. But since envy is not discussed as a subject, um, they're caught up in their envy. And so what they do, instead of admitting to their own envy and saying, well, I'm envious of this, what they say is there's something wrong with the world, then we've got to change the world outside so that I don't feel this way. So I think I'll The reason is that instead of people taking responsibility for their experience, more and more they've said, we've got to change society so that I don't feel, I don't feel inferior. Anyway, that's my thought. Their fault. Mm -hmm. Their fault. Their fault. No, there's something wrong with the system. There's something wrong with the system. Yeah. Yeah, we got to change the system so it feels better in my to my advantage makes things easier for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And my sense is that, um, the news media is very much about this because they're constantly finding faults with the system. I mean, if you look at the COVID experience over the past year, um, how much criticism has been coming from the news media? Oh, Uh, it's so much, it's so much better now. Under, under Biden, it's uh, everything is rosy now. Well, it certainly it certainly improved very quickly. Oh yes, I mean, <laughs> oh so funny. Well, it was very very interesting. I was having a conversation with somebody, and they said, "Boy, the news over the last, um, uh, you know, the last three or four weeks has just been crazy. You know, the news has been crazy." And I said, "Well." Uh, I think maybe the news media is crazy. And the reason is Trump isn't saying anything. Yeah. It's true. Isn't what it? happens it's been to the so news quiet. media? What happens to the news media if Trump doesn't say anything? Yeah. 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 And they're uh, so. Yeah. You know, the, the stock prices of the media companies are going to go down fast if Trump doesn't hurry up and say something. Yeah, that's true. Maybe he's going to open up, uh, he'll show up on Clubhouse or something and break the internet. That'd be interesting. It would be. I mean, imagine the rally you could have on Clubhouse. uh, You don't mind me asking, because I know you're on Clubhouse. How many Mm -hmm. many followers do you have? I would say I'm in it, but not of it, Dan. So let's see what I've got right now. I'll tell you exactly, because here's... Here's the extent of what I've done on Clubhouse. Um, right. right now, I have 3.1 thousand followers on Clubhouse, and without any um, without any with, without any effort or initiative whatsoever. That's true. To have yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, so does this mean done, that people uh, people will check out whether you're actually right now this moment on clubhouse or not so they're on the lookout for anything that uh where you're in i think that's what it is like i noticed that so you get notifications when something's going on on clubhouse so if and here's here's the extent of what i've done 
um, people have like uh, pinged me into a room. So if they're doing a, a room, they can send out, you know, notifications. Hey, invite, invite Dean, invite Dan, invite whatever. So I see whoever it is. I'll see that um, Kevin Harrington was doing a room um, uh, a few nights ago, Thursday, and they pinged me to come in. So I came into the room. They had about, you know, 1500 people, 1800 people wow. in the room. Yeah. And so I got to share some stuff and then all of a sudden, you know, ding, 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 you get all these people following you. And I've done mm-hmm. that a few times in other people's rooms where I've popped in and they'll go, Oh, Dean Jackson's here. Let's, let's see what he has to say. And you, you know, make a contribution and, then while you're talking, people are, oh, let's check out Dean and follow Dean. And so that's how it, that's how it happens. I've had, uh, I've done one room where I opened a room myself and I just uh, put up, I said, uh, 10 minute marketing hot seats with Dean Jackson and you know, opened it up and it automatically pings people who are following. And at that time, I think I had maybe 500 followers or something at that point. Yeah. Um, and I did, I opened it uh, up and had about, you know, 80 people come in, including uh, Paris Lumpropolis. So I brought Paris yeah. in and made him a moderator with me. And we just did uh marketing hot seats for about 45 minutes and then I had to run, I had to go and, you know, close it up. So it was, uh, I, I think what it really brings is an audience on demand. You can yeah. pick a topic. <clears throat> well, here's, in. Uh, yeah. Well, we're comparing Cloudlandia to the real world. So let's just right. take what you did. Let's just take, uh, not the real world, but, um, the mainland. Mainland, yeah, because they're because they're both real worlds. They're just different yeah. worlds. Uh, so take that and just uh, reverse engineer what yeah. you did. Um, um, you know, and can I ask you a question? How much thinking about this did you do before you actually opened the room for? Oh, the no, none. I saw. I was literally. I was like. I wonder what would happen if I open a room and I said, how do I do this? Cause I just wanted to go through the, the motions of seeing what it is thinking that, you know, I didn't know what, I didn't tell anybody I was doing it. I didn't announce it or, or send out invitations for it. So I was prepared for whatever happens. If one person comes, then, Hey, we'll just, uh, we'll talk about marketing and it not to be the worst, thing that could happen right and um because i it didn't i didn't think nobody would come but even if one or two or you know a dozen people come you've got a nice little conversation it's, it's conversation on demand that's really what i think it is you know and you know this is um this is a fascinating capability first of all um I'd like to introduce the whole notion, you know, in the mainland. We, you know, 
when humans were first identified as humans, which, you know, there's a lot of contention about this, but it's about 100,000 years that we're, we're different from anything else, you know, like yeah. um, humans are clearly different. And there's yeah. various, there's various what they call humanoid, uh, humanoid um, people. And um, um, the most famous of the humanoids that are kind of like us, but not like us are the Neanderthals. And, uh, but there's about, I think there's uh, at the hundred thousand mark, there are about 16 different humanoid variations and isolated from each other for the most part. And there has been some sort of crossover where we clearly weren't primates anymore. We weren't gorillas or we weren't uh, chimpanzees. We were, you know, we were operating differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been about a hundred, hundred thousand years. And one of the things that happened immediately is that class systems developed and there's a lot of uh, whimsical uh, theorizing that in the old days, people were very egalitarian and they shared everything and nobody had more status than uh, anyone else. But it's more of a wish for the future than it is a description of the past. And in other words, that um, um, people are born unequally, you know, unequal in terms of the circumstances, unequal in, you know, what kind of brain you have, unequal in terms of the strength that you have. Uh, and the skills that you have and whether you're alert or not alert. So anyway, uh, and what happens is that there's very definitely a stratification that happens in all human societies where uh, some people are better than others and some people get rewarded more than others. And Mm -hmm. um, you can take everything away from everybody and redistribute it equally to everybody, but in about a year, 20% 20% of them will have 80% of all the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Pareto's Law. This is an Italian yeah. economist. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how you try to equalize human beings. If you let them loose for a year, uh, pretty soon uh, some will have more than others. Mm-hmm. And um, so what I was watching was Cloudlandia because there's a myth about Cloudlandia that everybody's equal in Cloudlandia, but your clubhouse experience tells me that that's not true, that there are some people who are perceived thought leaders in Cloudlandia, and they have a higher status than other people. Mm, That's exactly true. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. That everything, yeah, that's true. It's an advantage going into, into that kind of an environment to be, Yes, because people look for the familiar. I think that there's something. Well, the other the other thing like, is mm-hmm. think about think about your brain and the development of the eight profit activators, which you just practiced actually during this mm-hmm. past week. You reinforced it with a new group of um, you know of, um, of uh, entrepreneurs who yeah we had three a days. great uh, I had a great days uh, with you. I had a great. Um, a uh, strategic coach uh, gentleman from Liechtenstein was on <clears throat> with us, Philip. Yeah, and yeah. He, he's he's great. We had a great uh, time. But we had yeah, people he signed you know, he's, up. He's uh, I, actually, I think he's one of our virtual, one of our uh, You know, we have the 
Global yeah. Virtual, which uh-huh. is, and I think he signed up in, uh, you know, he was in the London. very first workshop that we, uh, Global Virtual, and um, yeah, and we had never had anyone from that country before, so uh, well, you know, we kind of made thousand people in all of yeah. Liechtenstein. That's funny. Yeah, but we had uh, yeah. we had people, we had Hawaii. Lichtenstein and and all points in between, so it was funny. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but the the uh, I've been talking about. I've got a really neat exercise. I don't know if you were on the uh, free zone uh, two hour session when I introduced the uncertainty certain uh, certainty uncertainty focus. Did you no, see that? I don't think so. No. Mm-mm. Well. It comes out of my experience with Stephen Palter, and uh, Stephen, for the audience listening, is a IVF doctor, in vitro fertilization doctor, and uh, you know, so he helps couples have babies when they've not been able to do it uh, any other way, and uh, and uh, and so he's um, uh, he was feeling very limited and very, very restricted by the conditions of his um, medical specialty that um, they had a journal. So there was a journal and every medical specialty has a journal. And this is like an 1850s and, you know, uh, capability where they have an author, they have a society that controls it. And in every, um, you know, and it comes out maybe, um, I think probably quarterly or maybe it comes out monthly. And there's three or four articles in there. And uh, who gets their articles published is totally, you know, it's totally arbitrary and it's totally political. And then once a year, they have a big conference where everybody comes from around the world and it involves mainland travel and mainland hassle and mainland you know, time-consuming difficulty, and um, and he said there's got to be a better way for all the people in my specialty to talk to each other and compare notes and do it, um, you know, in a much more efficient way. So he created a communication platform which is called Lodestone, and um, and he's just taken off the shelf. Uh, digital capabilities, including marketing capabilities and uh, language um, analysis capabilities and, uh, you know, virtual conferencing. And uh, he's put them all together in one package and he's actually got a patent on it. And, uh, and, but what we were noticing that when COVID started, he, because IVF in vitro fertilization was deemed a non-essential medical specialty, which means they couldn't have any patients. And that, and that, and that went on, and that went on for about, uh, you know, four or five months from March until September, October. Uh, and, uh, and how were people going to respond to this? They, they had to lay off staff. They had to close clinics. And everything because their specialty was deemed non-essential by, uh, you know, some government official or government, uh, uh, you know, politician. And uh, so what he did is he created a set of about six conferences every couple of weeks 
where all the IVF doctors from around the world could talk about what was true about their experience, what was happening to their patients when they couldn't, um, you know, they, they actually couldn't follow through on, on procedures that they had already started and uh, everything else. And we were talking about what happened in the course of those six conferences. So let's say it, it was over the course of maybe a quarter and a half. Um, uh, and I said, you know, it's really, really interesting. I'm getting a totally different picture about what a thought leader is in the 21st century. A, an expert, if you will, but use the word thought leader. A thought leader is the person who can tell you where the border is between that which is certain and that which is not certain. Mm. Can I tell you the border between that which is certain. Yeah, and that so uh, let's go. A That's great. Ago, mm-hmm. So let's go a century ago and say, what's a thought leader? It's a thought leader is the person who knows everything. The expert is the person who knows everything. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that can't be true in a world where new things are happening every day and uh, new things are being created every day. A thought leader can't be someone who knows everything because they, there's no possibility of people knowing what new things are going to happen today, tomorrow, and the next week. Right. That's that's a great thing. So knowing the this is certain and this is what we're working on. We this we're not sure about this yet. That they're right yeah. on the border, right on the leading. That that's probably the leading edge or whatever, right? Yeah. yeah. And and the whole point is that um, I don't need to know what I'm. I, I just need to know what I can count on, and then the mm-hmm. others is still to be found out. And my sense of confidence doesn't come from knowing everything. It's just knowing kind of the maximum that I can count on. And then I have to have my wits about me for the stuff that isn't uh, known yet. That's great. And how did you incorporate that into a, a, an exercise? Well, I created that. I created, uh, I, you know, and uh, Zoom limits me to eight and a half by 11 for the exercises. And that's been a great restriction because I've gotten a lot better at getting, you know, an entire thought you can't process. Have the big yeah. 11 by 17. Yeah. Yeah. So the way I did it, Dean, is I set it up. First of all, there's a first column that says a breakthrough that I'm thinking about, some mm-hmm. great new thing I'm thinking about. And kind of, you know, this is, this is what, the breakthrough is that I'm looking and this is why it's really important to me. And, you know, if it works, this is going to be the outcome if, if this new thing really works. Okay. So you, you write that down. So you're focusing on a particular thing in the future. It's an improvement. It's uh, you know, it's a what, you know, like in the who, not how it's the what that I'm looking mm-hmm. for. And then you have a column that says what I'm certain about, by, uh, about this. In other words, that uh, there are certain things I already know, things that I've already seen that gives me the confidence to actually commit myself to producing this bigger and better result in the future. Okay, so I write down everything that I know. It's pretty, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure about this. And then you have a line that comes down that's called the border. And on the other side of the border, this is what I'm uncertain about. Okay. Mm. And 
it was kind of funny because I I walked the freeze owners through this, and all of a sudden it says, "Well, how is this different from a strategy circle? How is this different from an impact builder? How is this?" Yeah, and I said, um, uh, uh, I said, well, the difference lies in actually doing the exercise. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, so. So I had him, you know, I walked him through it in a normal form, you know, give him so many minutes to do this, so many minutes to do this, so many minutes to do this. And then um, then down at the bottom, I have insights, you know, what's your insight from this? And then put them in breakout groups and they came back and they said, this is kind of amazing because um, I've, I find that I don't have, that what the exercise frees you up is from taking a stand on something that you think is going to happen. Mm. You don't have to take a stand on it. You just have to say, this is what I'm certain about this. And this is what I'm uncertain about. There's a, a, I don't know whether it was, um, I think it maybe was in the fog of war. A, there was, mm-hmm. uh, the, that documentary, um, mm-hmm. where, he was talking about the the known knowns and mm-hmm. the known unknowns, mm-hmm. and that sounds like what you're describing. But he said where the the wild card is the unknown unknown, <laughs> the yeah. things that we don't even know that we don't know yet, <laughs> the yeah. things that are yeah that we could be discovered, um, could be the wild card in that situation, and then of course. The corollary to that is the things that we know that just aren't true. Yeah, that turn out to be wrong. That they well, that's really. And I, I yeah. think that I, I think that's really the b- biggest weakness is the things, mm-hmm. um, 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 you know, um, that uh, we're saying. Well, uh, we can rely on this because. Uh, uh, Anything opposite this simply can't happen. Right. And, um, you know, for example, I mean, just go back to, uh, to a world, uh, you know, a, a mainland situation. Well, it was mainland and Cloudlandia combined was the, uh, GameStop, uh, uh mm-hmm. experience about four weeks ago. GameStop, yes. uh, based on the Reddit community who were using a platform called Robinhood, um, to suddenly have three million investors um, kind of decide we're just going to support a couple of stocks here that the short uh, yeah. the, the shorters uh, are, are um, punishing right targeting now. yeah targeting and we'll see what happens right now okay now if you had interviewed a one of the the, the particular a uh, hedge fund that was shorting uh, those stocks the day before, uh, he says, you know, we got this one in hand. We'll, we'll we'll knock these two stocks out. And the next day, they were almost knocked out. So 24 hours yeah. later, they were almost, and they they lost three three billion. That's uh, yeah, yeah. In my world, in my world, that's a lot of money. Three billion is a lot of money. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and and they had to be bailed out by two other hedge funds. Now, the whole point was that nobody in the hedge fund world had any idea that what just happened to this one hedge fund could have happened in the hedge fund world. You know, they uh, mm-hmm. 
you know, so that was, uh, first of all, they didn't know it could happen. But the other thing is because of who we are, something like this can't happen to us, but it did, you know, so they just got introduced to a new dimension of reality. Yes, exactly. Now they've added that to your known known. Yeah. <laughs> that was previously yeah. unknown. That's right. Well, it was kind of funny because at the end of the week, uh, somebody wrote an article. He was watching, the, you know, because people were taking sides. People were taking sides for the Reddit community. People were taking sides for the hedge fund community and everything. And he said, the only, the only winner uh, out of this whole thing over the last week is the stock market. It just added a new dimension. Hmm. Yes. Then now it's a it's a that is a great balancer, right? Yeah, that's really yeah. That's, we can uh, hedge the hedgers. There's now yes. a device for hedging the hedgers. Yeah, uh, like uh, you know, and uh, yeah, and so. But going back to the certainty uncertainty thing, that when we start a project, it's not so much that there are obstacles; it's just that we don't have the information to decide whether it's going for us or going against us we we just don't know okay so you pose it as an uncertainty okay so i'll give you an example um i i put down as my project that i think that who not how is the central concept in the strategic coach universe mm -hmm. okay so i said instead of seeing the growth of strategic coach as an upward, uh, you know, as an upward slope. And you learn this at the bottom of the slope. And as you go up the slope, you know, um, you learn these other things. Mm -hmm. Why don't we see it as a circle and the bullseye in the circle is who, not how. And then as you master who, not how, you go outward concentrically. You go concentrically and then you, you, you know, you have the lifetime extender, you have free focus and buffer days, you have the largest yeah. check, you have unique ability teamwork. But these are all driven by the fact that you didn't procrastinate. <laughs> In other right. words, you procrastinated, but you didn't do the how, you found a who. And then there's all these yes. different ways of thinking, all the circumstances. So I put it, uh, you know, I put it down as my project. Now, this much I know, first of all, that who, not how is the most instantly communicated concept that I think we've come up with um, in the entire history of strategic coach, you know. And, That's um, great. Huh? That's great. No, it is. And, you know, mm -hmm. and I always say, well, this is who said it the first time. It wasn't me. It was uh, <laughs> Dean Jackson. But I said, um, but I've never said it to anyone where they just didn't immediately get what it was about. And I said, that's a really I good I remember concept. the first time. I remember you told me that the first workshop you did after the workshop where we talked about it. And you said mm -hmm. you've been saying it to the people. uh after the workshop and never getting met with um, anything but instant, like, oh my, that's a, that's a big one. Yeah, I've got yeah. a next door neighbor who has now bought eight of the uh, Who Not How books for people. She's in the movie business and she writes books. 
And she says, there's just so many people I want to give this book to because she says wow. they're procrastinating. She said they spend half yeah. their life procrastinating. Yes. So anyway, well, I put this out. Well, I'm certain of this. I'm certain of this. I'm certain of this. I'm not certain of this. And I said, first of all, uh, uh, what's it going to do to our salespeople? What's it going to do to our program advisors? What's it going to do to our coaches? What's it going to do? And I don't know the answer to this. So there, you know, I'm suggesting what is a fundamental 25-year kind of transformation of how we talk about strategic coach. And I said, there's just a lot. There's just a lot I don't know. There's just a lot I don't know about this. And yeah. uh, so, so instead of saying we're going to do this, um, I'm saying I, I can see that if the, we could pull this off, it would be probably a great thing. And I'm confident of this and this and this and this. But there's just a lot that I don't know about it. Yeah. And let's just try it on. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah. Yes. I think it's really, that helps you identify what do you need? Like it helps identify the, um, you know, the questions that come up next. That's the, if you look at that feeds so nicely into a strategy circle about the yeah. unknowns. Yeah. 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 Well, the other is thing unknown, is I, 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 it keeps me from being polarized on the issue. You know, yeah, it's kind of like, uh, and what I was noticing uh, in the Abundance 360 as I was watching the week go on, that everybody was polarized with their favorite technology. Yeah. And and what I mean by that, they say, well, this is going to change everything. You can forget about, uh, you know, you can forget about fossil fuels. They'll be gone and then right. the years and and you've got to take a position. And I said, yeah, but, you know, maybe there's a, a great many great unknowns about this that we just don't, yeah. you know, that we just really don't know about this. And mm-hmm. rather than taking a polarized position on it, why don't you say, well, this is what I know about it. And this is what I don't know about it. What do you know about it? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you look at a lot of, um, you know, I, 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 there's been a lot of things that we get exposed to at Abundance 360 that are that I haven't heard any more about since we were first mm-hmm. exposed to them. Like, if you go back seven or eight years, this was the eighth of it, right? So you go back. Ninth, this was the this was the ninth year. Yeah. This was the ninth. Okay, so yeah, I went. I didn't go to the first one. I was at the second, but I haven't missed. Yeah, since then. But the, um, yeah, but still a lot of those things were um, not really uh, made any advancing. Uh, But you're, I think you you hit it on the head earlier with the longevity things are the things that are, um, seem to be making the big strides. Well, I think the reason is uh, the ones that make the biggest, um, strides are the ones that apply to everybody. Longevity yeah. just happens to be something, you know. Even though we don't know, first... even though we don't know whether they're working or whether they will yeah. work, that's an interesting. Yeah, but we're bouncing. Element too. Uh, 
you know, I think probably consciously or unconsciously, we're bouncing off uh, every day. Uh, is this worth it today in terms of how much, how many years I still have to live? You know, right. like I think oh, yeah. humans, you know, if you're, if you're 30 and you think you're going to live to 90, uh, yeah. you can try anything. If you're 60 and you think you're going to live to 70, uh, there's only a few things that you're going to get interested you know, in. That when I, I went through exactly that situation with Homer McDonald, uh, the guy I wrote Stop Your Divorce with. When I met Homer <laughs> in 1998, he was 76 years old. Yeah. And I my age, thinking, right? Not my age. My, he was he, my age right now. But I'll tell you what, Dan, he was not, he wasn't your age then. He was older than you then. He was an older 76 than you are <laughs> a 77, if you know what I mean. And mm-hmm. I, I know that was a definite, like, unknown for me. But if you're, if I was looking at it, like what you just said, you're bouncing off things. I perpetually kind of kept stop your divorce as, uh, you know, third or fourth place project because mm-hmm. I was uncertain about how much do I want to put into building something on the back of, of, or, you know, based in conjunction with someone that's 76 years old, you know, yeah. I didn't see a 20 year window, which he actually lived for, you know, to 94 years old. He, he yeah, got 18. to, yeah, still strong and vibrant and, you know, right up to the very end. But Which um, is great. Mm-hmm. But if I had known then, if I had known in 1998 then, that we had a runway of 18 more years, yeah, it, it would have changed the way that I, I thought about it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah it's, it's, uh, it's really interesting. So longevity, I think, is... Um, yeah, I, I think our consciousness, what we call human consciousness, is really somehow, um, you know, structured around how long we've lived and how long we still have to live. Like yeah. what we value, what we value uh, that we want to hold on to, what we, um, you know, what we we would be interested in next. Uh, to devote our energies to, you know, to actually focus on and and work for. And I think mm-hmm. what happens with a lot of people is they, at a certain age, let's say at 60 or 70, they think that, well, there's nothing more that I can do for my personal life, um, but I'm willing to devote my time and energy to a collective project like a charity or a political yeah. party or anything like that, because they no longer see much um, progress in their own individual life. They don't, um, mm-hmm. they don't, they don't really, really see that. And I've noticed with more and more people as I become conscious that I'm not doing this, that what I have planned for myself for the next 24 years till um uh, uh, you know, twenty forty four when I'm a hundred is the biggest thing that I've ever ever undertaken in my personal life, and I think entrepreneurs really differ from the general population in the sense 
that they can stay with <clears throat> an individual vision of personal progress for much longer than most people can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's all valid. That's an interesting uh, take. You see all these, um, you know, it, it's very funny because I'm surrounded. I live in a, a neighborhood at a gated community. Most of the people are, are older than me. I've been lived here 18 years. And when I moved in, my thought was, you know, 20 years from now, I'll be old enough to live in here. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know it's a beautiful neighborhood. I, I love it, but I'm, I see these people now that um, were um, that are kind of early seventies or late sixties that are kind of retiring and winding down. One of my friends. Uh, and neighbors here just retired um, as a judge, but he was forced to retire at 65. Yep. And that, yep. it's an interesting thing that, you know, here's a guy that now he's kind of, is this the, the twilight uh, for him? You know, yep. he, he's, yeah. and it's, it's really, it's, it's interesting to see that he's, you know, 12 years younger than you. But now it's like come out to the uh, the end kind of uh, thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so the his uh, uh, you know his ability to plot an individual impact has yeah. been limited because up until then it was granted to him. Um, yeah, you know, th- uh, through the legal system, you know, the legal right. system actually accelerated him, sort of. To a very senior position because a judge yeah. is uh, a senior position, and gave yeah. him, you know, gave him uh, enormous uh, impact on the world. You know, case yeah. by case, he had enormous impact. But on one day, his 65th birthday, it all You're done. taken away. <laughs> You're done. And that's <laughs> I, my thought. You know, as I because I've been, I see him as I'm I'm driving out. We talk, uh, but he's you know he's looking for some kind of project. And I definitely see his, I think there's so many like judge opportunities in Cloudlandia for, you know, to do something uh, with him. Yeah, it was very interesting. Uh, um, Joe, at one of the Genius Network meetings, uh, had um, uh, Sandra Day O'Connor, who was the first you know, female justice. Supreme Court justice, and she was there, and she was in her, she was about 80 at that time. I, I think she's still alive, but I think she's kind of lost. Yeah, those Supreme Court judges, that's a thats a life position. Yeah, yeah that, I mean, in, in many ways, to be a Supreme Court justice in the United States has got to be one of the great jobs, J-O-B-S, yeah. in the world. Yeah. Because once you've got it, and it's very interesting, I look back at the... Uh, the entire history of the um, Supreme Court since 1789, because it was instituted as part of the uh-huh. Constitution, and there's only been 113 of them, so it's 200. Wow. And, you know, 230 years. There's only been 113 of them, and that it's works like out. I mean, if you, div- 
if you divide 113 into 230, it comes out to average of about 16 or 17 years, you know, that yeah. each of them is in. And, uh, and now, you know, the latest one, that's, uh, you know, uh, Amy Barrett, who she's, she's young. Uh, yeah, and she, she could put in 40 years easily. Yeah. You know, she's in great it's shape. Like a pulp, uh, yeah. It's like a pulp like a, job. Like a You're queen. there. Yeah. Almost like life. a queen. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Almost, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> Almost like a queen, you know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. So the the whole thing is going back to your point about uh, abundance three hundred and sixty and what you know what really. And I, I'm noticing the minutes and the hours that longevity gains every year in abundance three hundred and sixty. So like in uh, in the very first one that you went to. So uh, this was eight years ago. Uh, longevity maybe had 45, 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. Now it's got a whole day. Yeah. It's got a whole day if you put all the time together. And it mm-hmm. keeps, uh, you know, it keeps elbowing out technologies that were promised eight years ago, but they really haven't made much of a mark. Longevity is making a real mark. And I said, the reason is that everybody takes it personally. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm still I'm still trying to figure out 3D printing. I mean, is 3D printing is there anything in my future that's going to require 3D printing? And and I came to a conclusion. No, but there's clients of mine that 3D printing will be yeah. interesting to, and mm-hmm. I'll learn about 3D printing through my clients and their goals and their progress. But I don't yeah. need to know anything about 3D printing. I just um, you know, it's like the Kevin Bacon thing. I can afford to be one relationship away from 3D printing. Right. Yeah, I looked one degree of separation. That's my whole thing that I really um, look at being able to be exposed to what and who's. That's really what Abundance 360 yeah. does for me is you get exposed to what's possible or what's coming or what's out there in the world and if you ever need that capability who to talk to about it that's the good thing we've got the yeah we've got the a360 calling card basically that would get us you know well an, yeah, an audience other, with anybody other, right yeah yeah well the other thing is that you can take a look at every technology in a360 and you say what degree of separation do I need a direct relationship with this, or do I need right. a, uh, do I need uh, separation? Do I need uh, is it yeah. one relationship away from it? Is it two relationships away from it? Right, and therefore you can you can position the importance to you by the number of separations that you can afford to have and still be up to date as far as the world goes. That's smart. That's an interesting thought. Yeah. And uh, I do use that uh, 3D printing example um, all the time, though, in in of the VCR formula that um, I forget what the gentleman's name is that had the automotive um, or the, you know, the parts um, uh, 3D printing that they do the big equipment um, parts for yeah. machinery that's out remotely in oh, the field. Nice. And oh, yeah, nice. 
Paul Heiss. Yeah. And yeah. you know, the fact that they do tens of millions of dollars a year and are the leaders in the industry and they don't yeah. own a single 3D printer because they're using excess capacity of other sure. 3D printers. And that's yeah. to me that that's that's a Cloudlandia VCR um, sure. Sure. application. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, the, I mean, uh, the the whole point is that we have our goals. You know, you and I have our goals, and we, there's a certain number of capability. And uh, you know, uh, uh, Zoom just happens to be a direct relationship. I want to have a direct relationship with this technology. You know. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, because that's something that you, yeah, we're gonna use. You know. And I think yeah, we'll you, see the jury's out on uh, on Clubhouse, but I think it's going to be a useful tool. Lee and I well, were just talking here, about you. Uh, well, here's the, the, here's the thing. Uh, yeah, here's the thing uh, that I was going to suggest to you. You got 3.1, you know, 3.1 thousand or whatever it is right now, 3,000 followers. Uh, followers. Multiply it by 10. And it's thirty thousand. Yeah. One day Dean has a one day Dean has an idea, and before the end of that idea, he can bounce that idea off thirty thousand people. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think we. I mean, I said earlier, conversation on demand is really what yeah. you've got uh, access to. Put up a topic. Yeah. You can ask a question. <laughs> Talk about, you know, market research or anything like that. (laughs) I think the innovations. Yeah. And the other thing is I got a feeling that the answers you get would be better than uh, 90% if you're talking about like sociological or psychological research. Um, Yeah. 90%. Ben Hardy says, you know, he says 80% of all the uh, psychological and sociological theories in the world are based on 22 to 29 year old graduate students at major universities, mainly wow. in America, mainly in yeah. America. Yeah. And he says, well, how representative are those 22 to 29 year olds of the human race? He says, not very right. much. And, uh, and he said that one reason why, you know, like who, not how, and, we're working on the gap and the gain now as our second book. So we have a 10 year, 10 year deal with Hay House yeah. and, uh, and the, the, the gap in the gain is the uh, book for this year. And he says, you have to understand, he says that your basis for research are all successful, ambitious entrepreneurs. He said, that's a very unusual database. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's so. Uh, I, they're check writers. Yeah. Well, you're not writing true. checks to you're not writing checks to them. They're writing checks to you. Check writers. Yeah. Check writers have hold have a much higher standard of what works and what doesn't work than people who are being paid to test something. That's true. That's true. Yeah, the whole. Um, I'm, I'm seeing what's happening. Right now, have you been in Clubhouse yet? No, uh, I made a commitment to Lee Richter. Yeah, that that's she what I was saying. Lee, me to it. 
So I just sent her a, and I'll send you a copy of it. I sent her a, a fast filter and I said, okay. these are my conditions. These are my conditions. And this is yeah. what I want to get out of it. So I have a meeting with her on Tuesday. Uh, I have a Zoom meeting with her on Tuesday yeah. this week. And she's going to talk to me and she says, any way you want it. She says, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. She says, I'll introduce it. But down the road, the two of us can go on together and we can yes. have a clubhouse together. We can That's have exactly together. right. Yeah. Yeah. We could have welcome to club, the club lady, a club. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. true. And I'm, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I said uh, 2021, March to March mm-hmm. was my Zoom year. And I said, I'm yeah. just going to introduce another uh, capability called Clubhouse for the next year, you know, from March yeah. to March. And right. I'll just approach it. This is what I know. This is what I don't know, you know, and everything yeah. else. So, and I said, you know, I've got 24 of these years to go. And I said, maybe right. I'll just make one year about some new extension of, uh, you know, Cloudlandia the next, capability. The next thing. Yeah. Take it, whatever. The, the next thing. thing. Uh-huh. Yeah, I like that a lot, Dan. Uh, so that's yeah. yeah. Lee Lee was at my my breakthrough blueprint this last uh, week, and we were talking about uh, that as a sidebar about uh, yeah. bringing you into um, into Clubhouse. And it, but it's interesting for me as an observer to see how it all happens. Like even in the few weeks that it's been that I've been involved now. Um, there's a lot of, you know, holy cow, what's this? What's go? There's a lot of FOMO. Everybody's like fear of missing out. There's, it's yeah, happening. Yeah. You got to get on Clubhouse. You got to get in there and, you know, what what's all happening? And, oh my goodness, there's this guy. And, oh, there's this. Or, that's what's well, happening that, now. As far as I can see, I hope the uh, the founders of Clubhouse realize what they've done. But they've created a... Uh, counter social media as far uh-huh. as I can understand it from the outside. And I was just reading an article in the wall street journal, um, from Saturday, uh, that, um, there's a virtual war going on now between Facebook and Apple uh-huh. because, uh, Apple is totally restricting Facebook's access to information about uh, Apple clients. Uh-huh. And that's and that's like cutting off somebody's oxygen supply because mm-hmm. their model, you know, and uh, and apparently um, Tim, Tim Cook always reminds me of someone who's kind of cool, you know. I mean, yeah, not cool, not cool in a fashionable sense, but I think he he kind of looks like he's kind of unperturbable, you know. He's, right. He's an unperturbable. But apparently, uh, Mark Zuckerberg is just ranting and raving about Apple, and we're going to destroy Apple. We're going to we're going to inflict pain on Apple. And I said, so, you know, the one who's talking in that, you know, in that particular vein, emotional vein, is probably feeling that they're losing something. You know? Yes. Because Apple's got a pretty good record of privacy, you know, that they, yeah. you know, they have billboards that saying our business is to stay out of yours, you know, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, uh, everything. So it's, it's really, really interesting. The warlords are fighting. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. And that's, you know, that is, um, it's just that Apple is actually going to 
give people the choice. They're not cutting it out. They're saying, no, they're hey, just saying, no, these guys. Yeah. Do you want to give these choice. guys permission to track you everywhere you go? Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because when I open my Apple sites every day, it says in the last three weeks, 235 people have tried to track you and we've prevented it. You know, wow. like, uh, you know, they give me a scorecard every day of what they're doing on my behalf. And, that's uh, great. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, that's cool. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. And, and, and I have evidence that it's true because, uh, my the ads that are appearing as I'm reading articles and that uh, never are anything that I unless I've already indicated some sort of interest in this. Right. Um, and that, it's not just that I've mentioned a word or I, you know, I mentioned a thought or anything. It's like where I really looked at, uh, you know, I I really did look at running shoes. Okay. Well, this is and. Uh, so I'll tell you how scary it is. So this morning, Valentine's Day, and Luba was showing me because I was I'm I'm getting her this um, this special um, uh, tripod that moves to follow your when you move kind of thing for her training. Mm-hmm. She wanted this, so she was showing me on her phone. She was showing me this thing that she uh, wanted to show it to me. And I was, I just was watching this video on her phone. And then literally two hours later on my phone, I'm getting this video showing up on my Facebook news feed. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, like, how in the world does that, are they, you know, are they tracking through my iPhone what I'm looking at on someone else's iPhone? I mean, in proximity, I guess. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty wild, actually, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, it's... uh you know, and they're doing it because they can do it. You know, in yeah. other words, that the, the the virtual capabilities are there for them to do it. But what they don't interest, uh, that you know, what they don't take into account is that if people develop an emotion about this, and it's the emotion is against what they're doing, mm-hmm. they're screwed. They're screwed, yeah. you know, in other words, because human emotions can go contagious. Or we, yeah. You know, just let, let's just cut these people off, you know. And it's the one thing that I can leave it with this, uh, going back to the GameStop um, incident about a month ago. And it's uh, kind of, uh, uh, you know, a compliment to the genius of uh, Elon Musk. Because Elon Musk, about five years ago, was warring against the short, you know, the people who were shorting his stock. Mm-hmm. If you remember, he was going on that. And I think that Elon Musk has uh, figured out, uh, and uh, a new term was created over the last four weeks, and it's called sentiment investing. Sentiment. People have sentiments. And, okay, yeah. Uh, I'd, never se- I'd never seen that term before but that the uh, Reddit community uh, 
developed a sentiment against mm. a hedge fund, against hedge funds. They've developed a sentiment. And, three, mm. you know, three million, three million, uh, three million uh, investors with 10,000 each, that's $30 billion. That's $30 billion. Yeah. You, you can really, you can create some really powerful short-range investment movement with $30 billion suddenly in, in the market. And I think what Elon Musk recognized is that I'm always going to be the hero to the people who hate the hedge fund hedge fund people. Right. And so he's yeah. he's occupying a spot on the other side of the sentiment divide where whatever Elon wants, we're for it. Yeah. Because there's no way you can justify the Tesla the Tesla value evaluation in the marketplace yeah. based on the actual performance. Well, there's sentiment. I, I see what's happening. Um, you're like right now, I don't know if you know or follow that uh, in recent years, um, Taylor Swift had sure. her, her catalog, her back catalog was bought by Scooter Braun and ultimately sold to, a private equity firm, but Taylor does not own her catalog for her first six albums. And so yeah. it's become this big thing. And so she now is re-recording her first six albums to own her own masters of this mm -hmm. now. And the mm -hmm. first of these songs was released this week. And they're showing now and tracking how the sentiment of people buying the new, you know, they're called, it's the new love story, but then in brackets, Taylor's version or whatever the uh, oh, yeah. thing was yeah. to make it that all of her fans who know the whole story are supporting yeah, well, in buying, she, buying her version. Yeah. yeah. She's declaring ownership and ownership is more than just, um, uh, the legal contract that backs it up, you know, yeah. but, uh, you know, like, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a very, uh, uh, it's a very, very interesting, uh, very interesting topic. Uh, and, uh, yeah. And, and sentiment uh, it's involved. Sentiment is her Taylor, her audience is supporting it. This to screw yeah, the big, yeah. And you know, it's just, uh, an observation on my part and, uh, you know, it's my opinion, but I think the reason why Trump did that speech, you know, on the January 6th that got him impeached, yeah. uh, is that he's got a really good hold, a sentimental hold on 74 million voters. I and agree. he had to yeah. go right. He had to go right to the final moment that he was there for them, regardless mm -hmm. of what kind of backlash he got, you know, yeah. and and everything like that. And he now, uh, you know, he sits there and he's got he's got seventy four million chips. He started yeah. seventy four million chips, and you know, yeah. and uh, and everybody's going to have to be to pilgrimage to Mar-a-Lago to you know if they want to be anything in the Republican Party. Over the next four years, they got to be. To, yeah. they, they have to make a pil pilgrimage to Mar Lago and uh, yeah. sort of uh, plead their plead their case because he's got seventy four million voters, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah, wild sentiment's a big thing. Sentiment's a big thing. Yeah, don't be a jerk. 
Don't be a jerk. Well, I can't believe we've, uh, it's been an hour already. We've exhausted it. We, we, uh, we I have, mean, <laughs> we've exhausted it. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to our first clubhouse Cloudlandia. Yes, me too. Let's, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll talk with Lee. Now, see, that's we'll a get, good, uh, that's a good practical, that's a good practical goal for me. Yeah, I like it. I mean, this would be, there'd be nothing that we couldn't, um, you know, join in and have a, a conversation um, yeah. with people. You know, there'd be people who join in and listen and, and contribute. Yeah. It'd be great. Yeah. Okay. All right, Dan. Okay. I'll Bye. talk to you soon. Bye.